Miss Amber Guzman, our very own, our very own Amber. Oh my goodness. She was going to get that choir one way or another, right? She enlisted all of us to sing. Hi, hey, good to see you, good to see you. Oh, what a joy it is to be here with you today. Please know that we honor all paths to God. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, you're welcome here. Wherever you've been, whatever you've done, whatever's happened in the past, it doesn't matter. We love you exactly the way you are. Grateful that you're here with us today. We are moving right along through our uh, theme for 2019, August. Our theme is Awake and Alive We Thrive. That's our year theme. Our August theme is Creativity and Imagination. Creativity and Imagination. And today my talk title is What I Know for Sure. Right, but what do I know? But what do I know? What I know for sure. Or better yet, the subtitle would be You Can't Get Here From There. My uh, spiritual mentor, my teacher, somebody I learned a whole bunch from, she used to say that. She used to say that a lot to me. You can't get here from there, Debbie, you know, from where she came from. She was amazed at her life, the life she had. And I, and I feel that way about my life. From where I came from, the life that I have today is beyond, beyond my wildest dreams. And uh, so the spiritual journey... The spiritual journey that we're on. We're going to talk a little bit about that. What does that look like? What does the spiritual journey that we're all on look like? And I'm going to start out by telling you a little bit about my journey. Because whose do I know better but my very own, right? I uh, was raised Catholic. I think most of you know that. I had 12 years of parochial school. I went to a, a kindergarten in public school. And then I was in private school. I went to an all-girl high school. Uh, Catholic high school girls, you know, you hear about them. And um, when I was in the second grade, I got the call. I got the call to ministry. Now, how that happened is in the second grade, believe it or not, what are you, seven or eight in the second grade, something like that, the, they took the boys out of the room and they left the girls in the classroom and the nuns came in. And they said, now, girls, we want you to listen. We want you to listen for the call to become a nun. Second grade. And I, at that point, covered my ears and did, no, 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 way. I'm not doing it. I'm not being a nun. There's no way, right? And from that moment on, I was sure I was not going to be a nun. That was not what I wanted to do. But I had that inner God thing. You know, I had that thing that God was calling me to do something. And I've had it all my life. I've had it all my life, you know, and then, and then in parochial school, in Catholic school anyway, in the Catholic tradition, you're confirmed, and when I was little, that was in the seventh grade, and you walked up to the front, and the bishop slapped you, right? That was part of the ritual, but before that, you were, tra you were asked if you would be a soldier for God, and in my little seventh grade mind, I took that very seriously, and I knew I was. I knew I was. So I said, yes. You know, and that moment changed me. That moment changed me forever. That I had made that commitment. I had made that commitment to show up. To show up for God. 
You know, and, and I continued to have that idea in me. I continued to have that seed in me. And I'd like to tell you that it just was all hunky-dory from then on out. But it wasn't. You know, when I was 12 years old, my maternal grandfather died. And uh, he died of alcoholism. He died of cirrhosis of the liver. I remember going to the hospital to see him. He was yellow, and uh, it wasn't good. And uh, my mother had what I know today was just a nervous breakdown. It just rocked her world to a degree that it changed our entire family. There was five of us. My mom and dad were high school sweethearts. My mother had got married the same month she graduated from high school. She was 17 years old when she married my dad. And uh, our family changed. The family dynamics changed from my grandpa's passing and, and lots of things happened and lots of things happened. But one of the things that happened was when I started high school at 14 years old, I discovered alcohol and drugs, you know, and uh, I went on a run. I went on a very long run. For some people, it was very short. For me, it was very long. For me, it was very long, you know, and what I knew to do was I knew to check out. The pain was so great that I did not know how to cope. I didn't know what to do with these feelings. I didn't know what to do with the whole thing of my family falling apart. And I didn't know what to do with this whole God thing that was in me. But I didn't know how to live up to it. And I certainly didn't want to become a nun. And what was I going to do, you know? And it was just too much. It was too much for me. Now, I come from a long line of alcoholics. So, you know, it's in my genes. But uh, and then I found myself pregnant at 16 years old. You know, and I decided to give the baby up for adoption, which I did. And, uh, and then it was, I was off and running. And then I was off and running because I knew I had screwed up big now. Like, God wouldn't even want me to be a nun at this point, right? Like, I was off the charts. And uh, by the grace of God... I was uh, given uh, so many gifts, so many spiritual experiences that I can't even really explain it, you know. Uh, I met my husband when I was 23 years old. He came into the gin joint I was walking in, uh, working in, you know, I was a cocktail waitress at that point. And he came in and I met him when I was 23 years old. We got engaged when I was 24 and I was married at 25. And I was supposed to be living this happily ever after thing, right? I mean, like I'm married, we just bought a home, happily ever after. But on the inside, I was dying. On the inside, I was dying. And uh, I was pursuing an acting career. I was living in Los Angeles, and I had been pursuing that career for quite some time. I did a lot of little things, little student films, commercials, and that kind of thing. But I was always in class. I was always studying, you know. I was always studying the method, you know. I was a really serious actress. I was a very serious actress. Well, my acting teacher's name was Cal Bartlett, and he was a handsome cowboy actor. You've seen him in lots of lots of things. And one day he asked me, I was working on a scene that I was doing, and it was about a girl who was committing suicide. And he asked me, I said, Cal, I just can't relate. I would never, ever, ever kill myself. I wouldn't do it. And he said, well, what do you do when you want to escape? And I said, well, I get drunk. Of course. I mean, doesn't everybody, right? That's what I thought the answer was. And he had been in recovery many years at that point. So whether that gave him a clue that I had a problem or that it was just God speaking through him, I was working on a part where I was playing a woman who had just gotten out of rehab. And he said, you should go to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous and see what it's really all about, right? So I put it off, and I put it off, and I put it off until, like, it was time I had to do it. It was like the dead. And I went to my first AA meeting to do research. 
I wasn't there because I had a problem. You know, I was 27 years old. I was 27 years old. Divine intervention. By the grace of God, I'll be sober 32 years this January. 32 years. You know, and I share that with you because what that did for me, that going into 12-step recovery, what it did is it brought me back to my God. It brought me back to find a God that I could do business with. It brought me back to study and look and search and figure out this whole spiritual thing. And what was it all about? And what was I here to do? And what was my purpose? And, and how could I answer that call that I had gotten when I was two in the second grade, you know? So I had that amazing experience of, of, of being in this place that set me up for an amazing life that set me up for an amazing life. You know, when I started 12-step recovery, they said, write down everything that you would want for yourself, you know, and you'll shortchange yourself. And that's absolutely been true. If I would have wrote down everything that I wanted for myself in that day, I would have shortchanged myself because I wouldn't have known that this was possible. I wouldn't have known all that I've learned from there till now. And, uh, and I've learned so much, you know, about that time, I was introduced to the little Daily Word magazine. I don't know if any of you know that, Unity, which is one of our sister churches. It's another New Thought church. We have religious science, and we have Unity, and then we have divine sciences still around, and, and we have our roots in Christian science. But, but we, we come through that, and um, the Daily Word magazine, and I, and I kind of related to it. It was like the God that I thought God was. It was this loving God. It was this cool God. It was this nice God. You know, it was a God like maybe I could like this God. Maybe I could do business with this God, you know. And they would say things and they're like, let go and let God. Or you know, things that just made sense to me. And they would have quotes from the Bible that I grew up with, but they made sense. It's like, oh, that's what it means. Okay, I can get on board with that. I can get on board with that interpretation of it, the metaphysical interpretation of the Bible. You know, and so we started going to a unity church. I had my daughter at that time, and she was just a baby, and I lived in uh, San Diego area in Carlsbad. There was a little tiny unity church, and everybody was probably my age now and older, but I was young then, you know, and everybody seemed so much older. And it was a small church, and there was no children there, and there was no families there, uh, but we had my daughter blessed there. The minister did her blessing, her, her, you know, her baptism. And, uh, and we were looking. We were looking for a church that had families, that had young people, you know, and because we wanted to have something to give to our children. And uh, back in those days, the Science of Mind magazine, some of you will remember this, it had the listing of all the churches in the back. Remember, it listed all the signs of my church. You could even have lists of practitioners there that you could call for prayer. I sound like I'm 100 years old. Back in the old days, we used to have that. But I saw there was a church in Encinitas. I had no idea there was a church in Encinitas. So I showed up there, and it was Seaside Center for Spiritual Living, Dr. Christian Sorensen. Him and his wife, Callie, had just adopted their little boy, Trevor. So it was a big family vibe. There was a lot of family going on, a big youth program. And we started attending. And we started attending there. And I took foundations. Some of you are ready to take foundations. Some of you have taken foundations more than once. And uh, I took foundations. And I kept on taking classes until I became a minister. True story. I took all the prerequisites, then I went into practitioner studies, then I went into ministerial studies. You know, and I continue to take classes today. I love to learn. That's just one of the things that I like. Uh, it's, it's, so I just, I like learning. I think it's fun. I became a practitioner in 2005. 
I became a minister in 2014. I became ordained here with you in 2018. I became your senior minister in 2017. The journey has been an amazing one. The journey has been an amazing one. You know, it was uh, even my coming here to Monterey was divine enfoldment. I uh, candidated here on my birthday weekend. It's in September, and I'll always remember it because it was my birthday. And uh, I had been uh, to Europe that summer with my mom in July. And I decided, and I knew at that time it was time for me to leave my spiritual home. I'd been there for 15 years. It was comfortable. It was good. I liked it. I knew everybody. I was an assistant minister there. But I knew it was time for me to step out. You see, when God gives you the call, you can't not do it. You can try to not do it, but you will do it eventually, right? So it's easier just to go along and do it. So I got the call that it was time for me to become a senior minister. And I... Uh, and I looked to see who was candidating, and you all were. So I came up in here in September. Uh, I put my house on the market. I was here in November, and I started in January. It was just that perfect unfoldment, that perfect unfoldment. You know, where the doors are just opening, and the whole universe is with you, and everything aligns, and the stars are aligned, and you just know it's right, right? So I moved here, and I did that, and here I've been, and I've been with you all this time, and I have uh, learned so, so, so very much. I truly have. I've learned more about what I want and more about what I don't want in my life. You know, I've learned more about what is a match for my soul and what's not a match. You know, and that's how we learn, by experiencing, by doing, by stepping out, by participating, by becoming part of. We can sit home and think about it, and it looks really good in our mind's eye, right? But until we get out and do it, we don't really know. You know, and one of the things that I knew was always true for me is that family was one of my highest values. Family's always been one of my highest values, and when my marriage ended, it was one of the hardest things for me to walk through because of the value that I had for family. It was really in conflict with what I wanted in my life. And uh, I come from a very large tribe. Most of you know those five kids I was raised with, and then my dad had seven more, so there's 12 of us, you know, and that's just my siblings, and you count nieces and nephews and, and brother-in-laws and sister-in-laws, you know, and it goes on and on and on. So I'm a very large tribe, and they're all in Southern California, and, and truly that was the main impetus for me moving back, you know, was that I needed to be with my family. My, my mom's husband passed, you all know that, and, and I just feel like that's where my ministry is right now, to be with my family. When I graduated from practitioner studies, I wanted to go right into ministry, because, you know, I was on the roll there, and I was going to go right into ministerial school, and my minister panelists, you have oral panels when you graduate from practitioner training, and my panelists encouraged me to not to not go right into ministerial school. They encouraged me to sit and to be minister to my children. They encouraged me, my ministry was my kids at that point in time. You know, so I waited a little bit of time, you know, before I, I jumped into ministerial school. Marianne Williamson, she always says, or she has said, I don't know if she always says, but she says, your ministry is your address book. And I truly believe that. We each have a ministry. You know, who are those people in your life that you're ministering to? Look at your, well, do we even have address books anymore? Look at your cell phone, right? Who's in your cell phone? That's your ministry. 
right? Those are the people that you're showing up for. Those are the people that you're ministering to. Those are the people that you're loving, that you're encouraging, that you're supporting. Your circle, your tribe. So choosing to live for God. Choosing to live for God. That's part of my journey, you know? So when I made the decision to go into ministerial school, again, I'd like to tell you, it was all groovy. No, my whole world fell apart. So when my marriage ended, so when I had what I think was a nervous breakdown, my, my friend would call it a nervous breakthrough, and perhaps that's what it was. But I was a mess. And I would say to my mentors and my teachers, what is going on? And they'd say, welcome to ministerial school. And I would say, well, this is ministerial school. Forget it. Come on, God, what's going on? You know, but I wasn't alone in that experience. I've talked to many, many, many practitioners as they go through practitioner training. Their life gets all rearranged. Talk to many, many ministers as they go through ministerial training. Their life gets rearranged. I'm sure for many of you and your friends, you know when you step into something big and you're thinking it's going to be one way and it turns out to be a whole other way, right? It's God. It's God. Marianne Williamson used to say, when people would go, oh my God, like something was so crazy, she would say, yes, it's God, because it's so crazy lined up, it has to be God. How could it be anything else but God, right? So my world fell apart when I went into ministerial school, and I ended up taking seven years to do a three to five year program. I took two years off in the middle because I just really needed to. I needed to heal, I needed to really look at what was going on. I questioned everything I thought I ever knew about God. I questioned everything that we taught. I questioned, is this stuff even real? What are we saying? It was a dark night of the soul. But what it did is it deepened my understanding. It deepened my belief. It deepened my commitment. You know, so when I came back, it was like, yes, God, okay, let's do this thing. Let's do this thing, you know. Uh, the spiritual path is a spiral path. Uh, it's not a linear path. And I think that's how some of us get caught up. We think we're going to go from point A to point B, right, with maybe some little stops along the way. Well, no, it's kind of a spiral. And we go up and we go around and we go up and we go around. As we're going around the spiral, we're like, I have been in this exact same place before. Like, what the heck? I did this work already, right? But the truth is, is that you're doing the same work and you're in the same place, but you're at a place of higher consciousness, you're not doing it from down here. You're doing it from a higher place on the spiral. Alan Cohen calls it the spiral mountain. He has an entire chapter in his book, Lifestyles of the Rich in Spirit, Living in a Win-Win Universe, where he talks about the spiral mountain, and he talks about it in, in um, relationships, and he talks about it in career, and he talks about it in different places. But this is what he says. It says, sometimes it seems like we are getting nowhere. As if we are back at the same place we were months, years, or lifetimes ago, we may feel frustrated, unworthy, and confused. And we wonder if we are really getting anywhere in life. When such a smokescreen arises, it is useful to remember that the ego is always wrong. We believe we are getting nowhere because the ego interprets life as if it were against us when in fact, life is always working for us. Life is always for us. We've talked about that before, when something happens, instead of saying, oh my gosh, why is this happening to me? It's, how is this for me? How is this for me? 
Life is a spiral we move through from these different points of consciousness. Alan Cohen, the, mo the mountain of truth is scaled by taking three steps forward and two steps back. This process is perfect and it is wonderful for the, for the going down gave us the momentum we needed to rise higher the next time. Like a roller coaster or a ski jump. One thing is certain on the spiritual path of the true aspirant. No step is ever wasted. This is true in our own personal lives and the life of Monterey Center for Spiritual Living. The next steps will take us higher, will take us higher. You know, I struggled with that divine flow that brought me here. And now I'm not going to be here. Like, what the heck? Right? But trusting, trusting the flow, that my path is perfect. And so many of you have said that to me. And I'm so grateful for those of you that had said, we know, Reverend Debbie, we know you're going where you are called to go. And I'm grateful for that. And I know that the next evolution here is perfect, is perfect. So we dedicate our life to spirit, you know, stuff happens. And, and most of you probably know the story of Charles and Myrtle Fillmore, the founders of Unity, but I'm going to just tell you a tiny bit about them. Charles had an ice skating accident when he was 10 years old, and he broke his hip. And as a result, he had one leg that was shorter than the other, and the leg that he broke always gave him trouble. He wore braces and canes, and he was, he was in pain with that leg. His wife Myrtle, at a very young age, before they were husband and wife, developed tuberculosis. And so her belief was that she had a very limited life and that it wasn't going to be a great life. You know, whatever time she had, that she would struggle with this tuberculosis thing, and then um, life would be over. Well, she went to go see one of the early New Thought teachers that were out and about in that time, E.B. Weeks. And he gave her this affirmation. I am a child of God, therefore I do not inherit sickness. And with that very mantra, she healed herself of tuberculosis. I am a child of God, therefore I do not inherit sickness. And she came to understand the power of the mind and the power of our treatments and the power of the words that we spoke. And people started to come to see her for healings. And she didn't believe herself to be a healer, but she would teach them what she had learned about these spiritual principles. You know, and Charles, at first, he didn't pay much attention to it. He, was, he had started, this was an interesting fact that I just discovered. He had started a construction company with the brother-in-law of Nona Brooks. Now, Nona Brooks is one of the founders of Divine Science. Small world, right? So he was busy with his construction company, and she was doing this healing work, right? And eventually, Charles got interested in it because he was seeing results. And, and soon, he was walking without a cane. And soon, he was walking without the braces on, right? And people that knew him said that they saw an actual change in the leg itself, right? So they got to this place where they decided they were going to dedicate their lives entirely to do this work. And they have what is called the Sacred Covenant, and it's a thing at Unity that they have forever, and, and, and you know, they have it documented. And uh, this is how it goes. Because they, they made the decision, if they were going to sign up to work for God, for work for Spirit, that they knew Spirit was going to take care of them. 
And that was the covenant that they made. That we'll do this work, but I know that we'll be, you know, prospered by doing it. And their covenant went like this. We, Charles Fillmore and Myrtle Fillmore, husband and wife, hereby dedicate ourselves, our time, our money, all we have and all we expect to have to the spirit of truth and through it to the Society of Silent Unity, which was what it was called at that time. It being understood and agreed that the said spirit of truth shall render unto us an equivalent of this dedication in peace of mind, health of body, wisdom, understanding, love, life, and abundant supply of all things necessary to meet every want without making any of these things the object of our existence. In the presence of the conscious mind of Christ, the seventh day of December, 1892, signed Charles and Myrtle Fillmore. And that was the covenant they made with God, with Source. You know, what are you willing to dedicate your life to? What covenant are you willing to make? And do you trust that you'll be sourced with all that you need by doing so? In our Science of Mind textbook, all nature conspires to produce and manifest the freedom of the individual that it may unloose its own energy. We may be sure God is for us. We may be sure God is for us. In Monterey Center for Spiritual Living here, we created a covenant. You did one when you called in me as your minister, and then we did another one later on when we came together with a sampling of uh, members and non-members and old and young and new. And, and, you know, we tried to have sort of a cross-section of everybody here, and we came and we spent that time with Dr. Kathy Hearn, and we created a covenant. And I think that Bobby read it to you last week at the uh, town hall meeting. But for those of you that weren't here, this was the covenant that was created, and it's short. I'm just going to read you the six main points for this center, for Monterey Center for Spiritual Living. Our intention is to move forward together as one unified body, to be visible and reveal who we are, to touch and transform lives, to engage new people in the life of our center, to embrace people of all ages, faiths, races, and sexual identity to be prospered and supported in the fulfillment of these intentions. And that was the covenant that was created when we came together. And I ask you, can you still get behind that covenant? Can you remember that covenant as you're moving forward and looking to who is going to be your next minister as you're moving forward with all that needs to be done as you're moving forward to support your board of trustees, as you're signing up to say, yes, count me in, I want to be on this committee or that committee, or I can do this or I can do that. As you're committed to the life of this center, as we move together as one unified body. Right? It was very clear what the desire was of the people for this beloved center. The covenants that we make for God. When I was in ministerial school, uh, we were asked to write our own covenants to God. And I still have mine, and it's hanging on my wall, and I read it, you know, and it hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. Living a spirit-driven life is not all unicorns and rainbows. Right? I thought it would be. I really did. When I was a little girl, I used to think that. I remember going to my first uh, teacher and, and talking to her about it. I thought how God should be so powerful he could stop a speeding bullet. Right? 
And she explained to me how that was magical thinking, right? But I didn't know at the time. I thought it was all going to be good. But you know what? Birth is messy, right? Have you ever seen a baby being born? It's messy. It's messy. So as we move into this new place, as we're birthed into this new place, it might be a little bit messy. It might all fall apart before it gets put back together. But what I've learned is that it needs to fall apart so it can get put back together in a new and better way. So what is your call? What is spirit calling you to do? What is spirit calling you to be? Right? My teacher, her name was Addie. She passed, and I think I've shared this with you before, but she used to say, change, bring it on. And I'd be like, what? Right? But she used to do that. I love it. Bring it on. Bring it on. What a spiritual practice that is, right? But the seasons teach us that. You know, life teaches us that, right? We have day and night. We have the tide goes in and the tide goes out. We have birth and we have death. Change is a part of it all. Change is a part of the very life that we live. I'm going to leave you with this quote from Ernest in the Science of Mind textbook. Nature will not let us stay in one place too long. She will let us stay just long enough to gather the experience necessary to the unfolding and advancement of the soul. This is a wise provision. For should we stay too long, we would become too set, too rigid, too inflexible. Nature demands we change in order that we might advance. Ernest Holmes. I am so, so blessed to have spent this last two and a half years with each of you. You have touched my life in a way. I won't be the same when I leave here that I was when I got here. I love you. I bless you. And I'm so grateful to have been your minister. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Love you, love you, love you. Love you, love you, love you. Thank you, sweetheart. I love you. Thank you, thank you. Miss Amber, come on up. Thank you. Love you all.